The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, England's San Marino scoreline shocker. Kanan Code caused gasp by forcing in two digits where there was only space for one in what they're calling the biggest win for England players against part-timers since Marcus Rashford won the school meals debate. We round up all the international verdicts, Mancini back in the bottle in Belfast and more. And look ahead to Premier League round 12. Eddie, Stevie and Dean ready to debut as the top flight gets a freshen up. That's all coming up in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Thursday, listener. Thursday, November the 18th, as we record this. Hope you're well. You're looking good, I must say. Uh, with us here on Totally, I've got that Duncan Alexander out of Opta. Hey, Duncan. Hello, James. Did you have a good holiday? Um, my computer died, which for me, can you imagine what a shell of a person I was without Damn. access to Had you to been computer? together long? A, f- a fair while. We'd had some ups and downs, uh, but like... Most things, it's been rebuilt and maybe stronger than, than before. All right, then. Also here, Charlie Eccoshare of The Athletic. Hey, Charlie. Hi, James. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Thank you. And we're joined as well by Flo Lloyd Hughes. Hey, James. Internationals qualified now. Belgium, Croatia, Denmark, England, France, Germany, Netherlands, Serbia, Spain, and yes, Switzerland, while Italy are one of the six seeded teams in the playoffs, along with Russia, Sweden, Wales, uh, Portugal and Scotland. Well done, Scotland. That's thanks to that 2-0 win over Denmark uh, back on Monday. Unseeded in the playoffs are Ukraine, Turkey, Poland, North Macedonia and via UEFA Nations League rankings, Austria and the Czech Republic. If you were one of those six teams, which of the seeded teams would you want in the playoffs? I'm thinking Italy. Ooh, Really? Yeah, they can't score a goal, Charlie. Surely mm. you'd want... I mean, uh, this may seem hard. You'd want Scotland over Italy. Would you? Yeah, you probably would. I'm just being dramatic. I know. mean, the format's pretty exciting. I mean, I've never been a huge playoff fan in the past, but it does look pretty good in this sort of three sets of, of one-off semi-final and one-off final in a short space of time. It's going to be, particularly if you support a team that isn't involved, it's going to be very exciting. Right. I mean, the draw, let's see what the draw gives us. We're all hoping for that Scotland-Czech Republic rematch at, at Hamden. Uh, you know, Patrick Ship from the halfway line and that kind of thing. Flo, are you a, are you a playoff fan? Um, yeah, I think it adds a bit of drama. And I think for teams like Scotland and Wales, I think it's a, a really good opportunity to mm. still qualify. And I mean, remember when Scotland qualified from the Euros in that penalty shootout against Serbia and kind of how iconic that was. So I think more of the same is always good. It does bring home, and, and this is something Michael Cox has talked about, how hard, it, how it's strange how hard it is to qualify for a World Cup as a European team. We've got used mm. to with the uh, the bigger Euros that kind of, it feels like, you know, everyone come on in. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's quite, it can feel quite hard not to qualify for it. Then all of a sudden uh, for the World Cup, and I know this will change when it similarly gets expanded to a similar number. No, I don't think it will, will it? It's, we, it, will Europe it doesn't get, I don't think Europe oh, gets right. that many more places. So it's almost, yeah. I think the world. I think the World Cup is always just really, really tough to, to qualify. And I think this World Cup as well, when you're looking Unless at, you're in South America. Yeah, potentially. I think when you look at, CAF qualification, I think it's been so tight going right down to the wire for that. And then also you look at the fact that a team like Canada, who I don't think mm. many thought would really be prolific in qualification and our top of uh, 
of their qualification group. So I think it's it's been a very tight and exciting qualification sort of window and cycle. And I think it's probably showing just the growth of of the game across the world, which I think is probably yeah. a benefit for everyone, right? You, you probably saw the scenes of Canada's extraordinary win over Mexico. They're, they're first in, what, two decades? Mm. Played in minus mm. nine degrees in Edmonton. Amidst the snow. Jumping into the snow, aren't they? Like, yeah. Crazy. I mean, it's kind of... weren't happy with that. The biggest snow celebration since Robbie Fowler. <laughs> it's, uh, it feels a bit like, in a way, um, with the Premier League into the Champions League, in the sense that y- you could probably have about half or so of the Premier League would do okay in the Champions League group stages. They're probably better than a lot of the teams that get in. In the same way here, a lot of these European teams are more than strong enough. But it's mm. absolutely a good thing. I'm not saying it should be that Europe should be disproportionately represented, but it's quite good and exciting that it does mean you get teams that, that aren't going to make it. In that context, we should congratulate England, I guess, for seven World Cups in a row, which is their longest streak. And obviously the 94 was painful, but then to, to do seven in a row is pretty good. And they've, they haven't even needed a playoff in that time, have they? I feel like it's always been very comfortable. Yeah, the playoff for the Euro 2000. and that, So, yeah, you're right, yeah. Mm. All right. Well, as you say, tough, Charlie. A nation like Italy, one defeat in their last 41 games, only two goals conceded in their entire qualifying run, and they still haven't made it yet. But we'll talk about that and all the other stuff regarding the World Cup matches, uh, qualifying matches this week later on, because the Premier League awaits. It's back, and we're hot to talk about that. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. All right, listener, 11 rounds played. What's going on with the Premier League? Bit of a sit rep since we last saw any action. Uh, There's three new faces, of course, Stephen Gerrard, Eddie Howe and Dean Smith, uh, plus Antonio Conte, who will be making his home debut for Spurs this weekend. Smith and Howe have inherited the Premier League's bottom two sides, Norwich and Newcastle, who are both five points from safety. Burnley, the other team in the bottom three, are a little bit better off, just two points from being on the right side of the dotted line, while Leeds, Villa and Watford are the teams in most immediate danger, all within one defeat of finding themselves in the hot zone. All right, moving up the table and pausing perhaps to cock an eyebrow at Leicester, who are in 12th. And it's Chelsea, who will be facing Leicester this weekend, who lead. Uh, There's three points clear of Man City and West Ham, who are the Premier League's form side, but you knew that, of course. Liverpool lie a point below the Hammers in fourth, and only two points below them are Arsenal. One of the stories of the season, unbeaten since August. They've won eight of their last ten. Perhaps you'll say they've yet to be tested by a truly tough opponent in that run, but woo, that changes this weekend when they travel to Anfield. Uh, let's begin, shall we, with that fixture. Fourth against fifth. Uh, with all due respect to the Hammers, are Arsenal, are they the story of the season? Do you remember back in September when we came out of that international break, the Arsenal narrative was they'd lost all three, conceded nine goals and hadn't scored a single one. Now look at them. Well, they've certainly been the turnaround of the season. I mean, West Ham have started reasonably well. They started very well, didn't they? And then they've just carried on. They've been fairly consistent. Arsenal, bizarre, because they did go... They started so badly. And then they've gone on this really good run. But the, but as you alluded to, this is this is really important because in that run, I spoke about this last week, you know, that you could say the fixtures had been relatively kind. I think it was only two teams in that run who finished in the top half of the Premier League last season. Um, you know, they beat Tottenham and Leicester and... 
as we know, there aren't any easy games in the Premier League, so that run shouldn't be scoffed at. But this is a huge step up. I mean, away at Liverpool. But but it is mad that if they win this game, they they go above them, um, given how given how they started the season and you know what was being written about the team then and the extent to which you know they were being absolutely torn apart. And you know, like I've said, if if we're going to tear them apart for getting beaten by City and Chelsea, then mm. they deserve praise for winning the games they have. The last lot tearing them apart were with the last top four side they they faced Man City, uh, who beat them five nil. What do you think? The other thing that happened at the start of September was the the transfer window closed. And I think Arsenal possibly, if you'd have suggested this at the time, you'd have been called mad and insane. But I think they might have won the transfer window because <laughs> all their all their signings have settled in really well, and they kind of dovetail really well as well. Um, you know, Tommy Yasu at right backs added some sort of height, which covers for Ben White, who isn't great in the air. Obviously, Aaron Ramsdale, where there was a lot of tweets saying, "Ha ha, Arsenal paid more for Ramsdale than United paid for, for for Cristiano Ronaldo," but that seems to be working out. So, um, yeah, I think they're they're looking good. But as you say, this is an incredibly hard fixture. It's also it's one of the few big big six games, which is always good, pretty much. Mm. It's mm. Um, a lot of them can be quite cagey sometimes obviously not this season so much but this one is always good it's the highest scoring game in Premier League history it's got more goals in the 90th minute than any other fixture in Premier League history it's got more hat tricks than any other game in Premier League history so so yeah it usually throws up some sort of uh, red hot entertainment when you say it's the highest scoring fixture in Premier League history Duncan do you mean cumulatively they cumulatively yeah not kind of per game goal average no, there'll be some some odd, rarely seen games with higher, but it's it's overall it's pretty high. Yeah, I mean we've right. we've seen both teams score, you know, fives and, and sixes and stuff. Mm. There was obviously that four four draw, the Andre Arshavin match. There was so, a three yeah, all a few years ago that with, right. which also included a ninetieth minute goal to support that. Um, yeah, that's that. But yeah, I mean Arsenal have a really bad record at Anfield. They haven't won mm. there since twenty twelve. Um, they won twice that year, weirdly. Um, and Klopp's got a really good record against Arsenal. Um, I think he lost when he was at Dortmund once or twice, twice maybe. Um, but has only lost once since coming to Liverpool in the league. So, and that was I after mean, they'd won the, the Premier. League. Yeah, they'd won the league yeah. already. Exactly, it's a dead rubber. Um, so you, you'd still make them the big favourites, I think. A lot of it as well. I do find with these games post international break, especially for teams like Liverpool, who've had a lot of players travel long distances, that that can make quite a big difference. And you do see teams sometimes looking quite flat. So that that might, that might play a part. You wonder. Alisson was wearing jeans on his flight back as well, which you wonder if that'll affect him. That's a good question, actually. Um, how difficult is a trip to Anfield right now, given that Liverpool have only won two of their past six games? Throwing away leads against Brentford, Manchester City and Brighton. Yeah, I think as, as the timing goes, I think it's actually a pretty good time for Arsenal to go there because coming out of this international break injury-wise, it's been a pretty good one for their squad. But Liverpool have got a couple of issues. Jordan Henderson, Sadio Mane, both coming back from international duty early. Andy Robinson came off a bit early in that Scotland game against Denmark. I haven't really seen an update on that injury yet. So I think Liverpool are a little bit wounded from that. Um, and as Charlie said as well, players having to travel long distances always kind of takes its toll. So I think Arsenal would be in good shape and sort of still full of confidence as well. I think Aubameyang's probably their biggest injury concern. I think he came off in one of Gabon's games and then came, again returned early, but apparently it's a light calf strain and nothing serious. So I think all in all, they're, they're pretty fully fit and firing. So it'll be really interesting to see 
how they measure up against a, a, a slightly wounded Liverpool side. I was just going to say on on Aubameyang, this might be controversial view, but I, I I don't think he would be the biggest loss for Arsenal in this game. That might sound odd, but away games against big teams, he really does enough. I think for what you need from a striker like Aubameyang is a is a you know he's a world class goal scorer, but he's not someone who. I think is great in these games where you see so little of the ball, you've got to hold it up, occupy defenders. I actually think Lacazette might be better suited uh, to that role in this game and then you'd bring in an extra attacking midfielder, someone like Odegaard. Um, The problem Arsenal would have if Lacazette does start is that he can rarely last the full game. So certainly having Aubameyang to come off the bench would be would be very worthwhile but um, yeah, if he didn't start, I I think that is something Arsenal could, uh, could cope with. I don't think it would be as catastrophic, say, as Thomas Partey, who, if Arsenal were without him and he missed the last game with injury, I think that would be a far, far bigger loss for them because they just don't have anyone who can come in at anywhere near the same level. Yeah, I think I think that's probably the, the biggest concern long-term, actually, is we've seen now how good Arsenal can be when they've got that stability across the back line, especially having Ramsdale, White, Gabriel, all playing together, I think it brings them that foundation. And I think once you see a couple of players fall away, a couple of players drop out, the whole thing can unravel quite quickly. So keeping that core together is going to be so crucial. Well, we've done a reasonably convincing job of suggesting that Arsenal might actually go and get a result at Anfield. I'm not sure if anybody actually believes that's what's going to happen this weekend. But we'll see. We'll see. Football, eh? Who knows? Uh, As for the other teams involved in that title tussle with Jurgen Klopp's side, West Hammer at Wolves, Man City host Everton and leaders Chelsea are at Leicester in what is their fourth meeting of 2021. Crikey. Leicester actually won two of the previous three, including the FA Cup final. Chelsea may have Romelu Lukaku fit enough to start. Yeah, it's Leicester do tend to play quite well against Chelsea. Um, Brendan Rodgers seems to rise to the occasion of, of his former club. Um, it's also a bit of an odd journey for Chelsea because it's obviously the game where Lampard had his last match. Mm. Um, and also Mourinho in 2016. Mourinho, yeah. yeah, so it's a bit of a sort of graveyard of, of Chelsea managers. Could this be Brendan Rodgers' last match? Because um, of the Man United on, thing? Yeah, it would depend on other other things. So right. I don't think so. But okay. um, obviously you do wonder whether that, those rumours and, and that possibility is, is affecting Leicester a bit. Mm. Foxes haven't kept a clean sheet since the opening weekend of the season. In fact, only Newcastle and Watford have kept fewer clean sheets than them. Something seems to be going on with Leicester. If it's not Brendan Rodgers' rumours, what else might it be? They've had injuries, haven't they? I mean, you think losing Fafana for the whole season looks like that. I think that's been a pretty major blow for them really upset the balance defensively and I mean there there were warning signs I mean last season they did tail off towards the end I know they won the FA Cup but in the league which obviously happened the previous season as well so they have been inconsistent and it will be interesting to see if Lukaku does play whether he's fit enough to start or not how their defence copes with that and also how Chelsea uh, adjust because obviously they've been playing in this false nine kind of way and mm. I, th- I think before Lukaku got injured there was a sense that oh, have they, they haven't quite worked out how best to use him so um, yeah be interesting to see if they've got any closer to cracking that Leicester need more goals from Jamie Vardy don't they I think that's the takeaway <laughs> uh, Speaking of potentially season defining injuries what about West Ham 
and uh, poor old Angelo Bonner, who's gone for the rest of this campaign. Uh, West Ham are going to be away at Wolves. They have the best away record in the league. With a victory, they could be top of the table by Sunday night, David Moyes' side. Duncan, you've written about David Moyes, Moyes, Moyes. He's ready for the good times uh, this week, actually. Basically, I mean, in synopsis, you were marvelling at the fact that he is set in his third decade in the Premier League for a third-act redemption in a way that, say, Mourinho has been completely incapable of and that I don't think anyone was truly expecting. Yeah, I never quite realised how Mourinho and Moyes are pretty much the same age. There's a couple of months between them. Um, Crazy. And obviously, yeah, mad, the old chronology scene. Um, But uh, obviously they both came to the forefront in the 2000s in, in different ways, but some similarities. Obviously, then maybe lost their way in the in the 2010s. But um, Mourinho possibly isn't coming back from that. But but David Moyes really has. And I think the key for a manager, and this is what undermines Mourinho, I guess, is is the players are completely bought into to what he's doing. You know, West mm-hmm. Ham are working incredibly hard. They've got four of the top 10 players for sort of off-the-ball pressure this season. They're joint top for winning the ball back in the attacking third and turning that into shots. You know, they're, they're playing in a sort of way you'd imagine a David Moyes team too, but they're also fourth for open play XG, so they're actually playing quite good football at the same time. So he's, it, it reminds me a little bit of Leicester in, in 2015-16. I don't think they're going to win the league, but you can almost name the team, the 11. You know, obviously, old Bonner now is injured, but mm. you know that every player, you know what their job is. They, they're all doing what they, they're good at and it's just sort of working. And you do get teams that, that do hit seasons like this where everything just falls into place. And I think that Liverpool game last time out was was so entertaining. Um, yeah, they hang hung on a bit at the end, but, but they're playing really, really well. And I think it's been a long time since you can sort of say, I'm really looking forward to seeing West Ham play. Uh, but here we are. I just I I wonder as well what is what is success for them this season because I think it is difficult if you're still not close enough to really win the league but you want to make the most of a fantastic squad and a, you know a manager that they've brought into and, and a style that they're playing in really well. I mean, what is it? Is it not playing Thursday night football? Well, exactly. Is it a good cup run and you know doing what Leicester did and going on to win the FA Cup? Is it trying to you know, stick around in Europe and, and get to a European final. I mean, how do you even quantify what a good season would be when you're probably not going to win the league? Well, I mean, finishing top four would be extraordinary, I think, for most West Ham supporters, wouldn't it? It would be phenomenal. And I guess the, the dilemma comes as well, the extent to which if they are in the Europa League still and also going for the top four positions, what do you prioritise? Mm. Um, obviously, both are a route into the Champions League. Mm. Uh, so that that would be quite a delicate one. Um to have to do and you've seen teams do you know famously and back then I don't think you got a Champions League place but there was the case of Villa wasn't there who bombed themselves out of the I think UEFA Cup as it was then and then went on this terrible run of the league so that's kind of a cautionary tale for doing that but it is that that will be a tricky one if if it gets to that point I just wonder mm. as well on the Mourinho comparison we're, we're always told that Mourinho the issue he has is that he hasn't found a way to communicate with millennials Gen Z's in the way that he did with that John Terry, Frank Lampard generation. And obviously Moyes was probably being tarred with a similar brush. I think people felt that his uh, way of motivating players no longer worked by the time he was at Sunderland in his first spell at West Ham. So it's interesting that, as Duncan says, clearly looking at those numbers, everyone is so bought into it. And I wonder the extent to which he's adjusted how uh, he manages or or if it's just yeah. his, his way is more universal. 
Well, there was a moment what that celebration Antonio did when he got the the cardboard cutout uh, and danced with it. They asked Moyes about that in the post match interview, and he he clearly said he didn't like it, but he did it in quite an avuncular way, and it was. You know, I think he kind of accept. Maybe he's accepted, yeah, that that he has to kind of treat this generation of players differently to to the dogs of war, whatever they call <laughs> that Everson team in the in the two thousands. I, I feel like as well, he quite enjoys playing up to the grumpy old man character, but secretly finds it really funny and actually has mm. a good kind of funny relationship, a light hearted and laid back relationship with his players. But he plays up to the sort of hard old man image because it means they still respect him but they know that they can still have a laugh and a joke at the end of the day I mean I would love to kind of peek behind the curtain and see you know what the atmosphere is like is it really serious because I couldn't believe with some of those characters that it would be or you know they just respect him in a way that actually when push comes to shove and they need to kind of get their heads down and focus you wouldn't want to mess with him coach first friend second entertainer third (laughs) how big of a miss is Angelo Bonner though it's big, yeah. And this is the the question mark I guess people have had because of the Europa League run. They thought that it would manifest itself in that way that they'd pick up knocks and have un- unavailabilities. Obviously, this is just really unfortunate. But how big the squad is, can they absorb this kind of thing? Well, that that's really going to determine whether West Ham can maintain this kind of form. Because, you know, as, as brilliant as they've been, we've seen lots of teams get to this point roughly in the season mm-hmm. and be around the top four. Um, so... Yeah, that is going to be a big, big test for them. West Ham, fame, well, not famously, it's probably the worst use of the word famously ever, actually. <laughs> West Ham in 1975-76 is the only season they've started a top-flight season better than this one. Um, and they finished Notorious 18th. that season. They didn't win any of the last 16 games. Where, where did so they finish, Duncan? 18th. It's <sighs> a marathon, not a sprint. That's what I'm saying. I see. Man City currently level on points with West Ham, will be hosting Everton, who are 13th. Everton, who have lost their last eight meetings with Man City. Everton, who have won just one of their last eight matches in all competitions. And that was against Norwich. City, meanwhile, will be buzzing after their uh, derby stroll against Man United last time out. Yeah, you, I mean, I, I was at Goodison for the Everton Spurs game, which was their last game. Mm. Um, and they, they actually looked okay, but they just really lack a cutting edge. And, you know, do, you know, talk about West Ham having to absorb the loss of a key player. Well, Everton have had a few and Dominic right. Albert-Lewin has been a big, big miss for them. Right. And they've, they've parted companies with the chief of their medical staff, as, I think, as a result of that ongoing injury crisis. They were absolutely terrible in the first half against Wolves last time out. That was one of the most lacklustre displays I've ever seen from a Premier League team. They did improve in the second half, but it feels like Benitez is, you know, starting to be on, not thin ice, medium ice, I'd say at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he had, obviously, for obvious reasons, he doesn't have loads of credit in the bank. So, um, Well, that's yeah. with the supporters. I, I don't know if that's the case with, with Mashiri and... Uh, I, I, th- I guess it's the, it's the manner of the performances, though, which is what I sort of agree with, with Duncan on that. I think... Obviously, there's still there's always going to be a section of supporters that you probably won't be able to please in this situation. But for those that have been a bit more neutral about it and have welcomed him, you know, with with a bit of positivity and an open mind, I think the manner of the performances against a backdrop of big injury issues, yeah, definitely, it's um, it's not just Calvert Lewin, but uh, Yerry Mina, I think, is on his way back. Um, 
Tom Davies is injured as well. He's got a, a boot, I think, and 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 it probably won't be back this weekend. So there's other injuries Decora going on. But well. I just think, yeah, it's the it's the manner Decora, of the performances yeah. that haven't been particularly inspiring. And mm. when things are, are heading that direction, it's hard to imagine that the return of you know Dominic Calvert Lewin is going to change things. Yes, you know they might score a few more goals, but it's the the level of the performance which hasn't been great. Well, get a result away at. Uh, the Etihad and help uh, Liverpool's title push. That will certainly win the fans round. Uh, <laughs> let's look at the the new look uh, managerial lineup at three Premier League sites next. So, Mr. Uh, Ferguson, what's troubling you? Well, you see, uh, I've started this new personal security company. Right, and uh, have you got any clients so far? Well, only one. Uh, we all are. But uh, I feel he's going to get taken out soon. Sometimes there's only so much you can do. But with Paddy Power, you can secure your future with our great offer. Get money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power! Pretty much bet builder bets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg, min 4 plus legs. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds on an exclusive T's and C's supply. 18 plus. Become aware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Wow, Duncan Alexander, has it ever happened that apart from on the opening day of a season, you've had three new managers debuting, debuting simultaneously in the English top flight? What do you think? That wasn't the has this ever happened question I thought you were going to ask me, actually. What did you think I was going to ask you? Well, obviously, Dean Smith is about to face Southampton. Ah, And in his last game, he faced uh, Southampton. And it's only ever happened once in a top flight season. Who was that? Um, well, it was Bill McGarry, a big, a big, oh, big man. figure in the, big figure in the nineteen sixties. And interestingly, and I use that phrase advisedly, like um, you used famously before. Yeah, yeah. My adjective game was poor today, but um, he he did it against Man United twice in a row. He did it for oh. Ipswich and Wolves, which is kind of you know Norwich and Villa, Ipswich and Wolves. There's a hmm. there's a kind of geographical link there sort of I, so, yeah, I like what you've done there Duncan as well that you've done what we used to do in exams at school and just answered the question you wanted to regardless of yeah. what's actually been asked right I do I do also think it feels really strange for uh, obviously managers get sacked a lot around international breaks but it mm. does feel strange to, for all of that to happen so much to happen so many changes the international break happens and then we start again because it almost feels like those things didn't happen two weeks ago it almost feels like everything's moved on and now we're just back where we were and my brain can't quite come to terms with all of that happened just a few weeks ago and now everyone's back in a new spot and they've just done a little kind of rotation musical chair situation. It's just really strange. It feels like the start of the September games after the international break when all of a sudden you've got all these new players and things and again you're Ah. kind of having to reorientate yourself and be like, oh yeah, no, they're good now and they're they're no longer so good. Which is nice because it freshens everything up. Yeah, uh, it's a new series. Yeah, exactly. But the only thing is that all three games, which, you know, all three of their debuts are coming simultaneously and they're all in that three o'clock, can't watch this window. Were you to magically be able to, I know, realms of science fiction and that, but were you to be able (laughs) to somehow... 
Yeah, uh, to be able to actually w- watch one of these games. Which one would you find most enticing? Definitely Villa, I think. I think even though I... Well, you know, I'm not a Liverpool fan, so I've always respected Steven Gerrard as a footballer and he's obviously, you know, such an icon of the game, but I never had much of a kind of love or affiliation with him or Liverpool Football Club. But I do think there is still an aura around someone like him managing in the Premier League at a club like Aston Villa. And I think I would like to see how that goes. Part of me sort of half thinking if he loses his first game, what's the reaction going to be? And part of me thinking, thinking, well, if it's an incredible performance, you know, is this step one on a quick uh, move into the Liverpool dugout? Right. Well, Flo, if you're interested in what kind of football Stevie G is likely to bring to Villa Park and anywhere Villa might be playing, let's hear from somebody who's been following his uh, Ranger side closely, Jordan Campbell from The Athletic, who joins us now. Jordan, uh, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thanks for having me. Uh, what can we expect? Let me dive straight in with the big question. What can we expect from Aston Villa under Stevie G? I think he said himself that he's not a, he's not someone who is um, tied down to a certain idea or a certain sort of concept of football. Um, but I think what you'll get is, um, you know, he doesn't just come as um, an individual. He comes as an overall team. Um, and the way him and Michael Beale and... Um, Tom Cole, Sean, Gary McAllister all, all combine with each other. I think I, th- I think it's a it's a good appointment for Aston Villa. Um, but I mean, you can look at what Gerard did in Scotland and try and extrapolate having 65, 70% of possession against Ross County and Livingston. But it's probably more pertinent to look at what they did in the Europa League. Um, I mean, they played over 50-odd games. I mean, it's quite remarkable what he did. Um, and I don't know if people actually appreciate where Rangers were when he came in. They lost to Progress Niedercorn in the first round of the qualifying. He comes in the next year, takes them through four rounds, four rounds again the next year, three rounds the year after that, gets to the last 16, two years in a row, and they've beaten teams like Porto, Galatasaray, uh, Feyenoord, uh, Braga. You know, the list, the list is endless almost. Um, so I think you would look towards more what he's done there, and the founding sort of principle there has been the organisation off the ball. So I think some people look at Stephen Gerrard and think, well, Maybe he's a sort of ex-player who thinks it's all about passion and it's all about the intangibles. But really, like he's very different and his teams are very different to that. It's all about the system rather than individuals. And I think you've seen like the 4 3 2 one sort of Christmas tree um, formation, you know, became second nature um, for a lot of the players. So what I think Villa will see pretty early on is that their team will have a clear identity. They'll be really organised. There'll be no spaces uh, for the opposition to play through and they'll have a, cl- a clear idea of how, how they want to play. How long do you think it'll take for him to have that kind of an impact at Villa? Are you expecting quite immediate returns? Well, I guess it's difficult to say, isn't it? Because uh, when he came in at Rangers, he literally did a blank canvas, um, mm. had to ship out like 20 players and bring 20 players in, whereas now he's coming into a, you know, a decent enough squad, um, but in the middle of the season. So what I think, I think it'll be incremental change, but... Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if within a few weeks you see the same sort of base system as you've seen at Rangers because Michael Beale, everyone says about his coaching, is that it's the clarity in his coaching is what makes it so good. And every single player, like if they don't fulfil their role, then they know it's on them because, um, as I say, he's one of the most highly rated coaches around, I think. So um, with his coaching and then you've got Gerard's sort of mentality and man management and able to 
create a real culture and togetherness. I think it's always it's a really good blend they've got. Um, I think Rangers only ever lost with two goals, maybe four or five times in his whole tenure. So what I think with Villa is even if they're not playing well, I think over time you'll see a real um, grit that's developed there um, that allows them to stay in games. I think it might take a, a while before the, the, you see his team, if you want to call it that. But mm. um, it wouldn't surprise me if they... Um, if they tweak a few things and, and begin to um, turn it around pretty quickly. All right. And, and what, Jordan, about Rangers, what are, what are they going to do uh, next, having been left in the lurch, essentially, by their manager? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's been a week now. Um, a week feels like a lifetime they're in football. Um, and, I mean, it looks like uh, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst will be uh, appointed uh, today, which is Thursday um, at the time of speaking. Um, and, I mean, it's, it seemed like nailed on to be him for, for most of the week, really. Um it talks on Saturday and uh, presented to the board, um, and then they had fuller talks on Tuesday. Um, and now it, it seems like a, a foregone conclusion. But I think he t- ticks a lot of boxes for Rangers. I think there was maybe a bit of trepidation when Gerard left because he has been such a, a huge figure in the turnaround of the club. But I think Van Bronckhorst ticks. You know, he, he could go through. You know, he's managed at a big club in Feyenoord with the pressure of the fans. He won the first title in 18 years. He won five trophies overall in four years. Uh, he's an ex-Rangers player, so knows the sort of unique culture. I think that can be overplayed. You know, do you need to know the club? But Rangers and Celtic rivalry is such a unique uh, sort of goldfish bowl that I think sometimes you do need. Um, it's helpful to have that sort of understanding of it. Um, mm. And he's obviously a big name as well. And I think, that was maybe going to be important coming off the back of Gerard, um, especially when a lot of those players came to Rangers because of Gerard and that sort of personal relationship they built with him. So um, I think it's a really good appointment with Rangers on paper, and I guess it's now just about him getting his backroom staff in to make sure that they re- they replace the one the outgoing ones that have followed uh, Gerard to Villa. John, that's brilliant. Uh, thanks so much for bringing us up to speed on all of that, and uh, look forward to hearing from you again soon. Alright, cheers, James. Uh, Aston Villa taking on Brighton, meanwhile, in the Premier League. How tough an opponent are Brighton right now? They haven't won in six, but they are one of only three teams yet to lose away from home this season, along with Chelsea and West Ham. Yeah, you feel like Brighton would be the paradigm for teams like Villa looking at, you know, how they can consolidate in the Premier League and, you know, set their sights a bit higher. You know, Brighton have done that so well and done it. You know, Jordan was talking there about Gerard having a very set style. I mean, Brighton that's what they're synonymous with so um, yeah they are a tough opponent they're where Villa probably hope to be um, in not too long it's the kind of two routes to becoming a Premier League manager as well isn't it Graham Potter who mm. has done it very much the studious academic sort of way and Steven Gerrard who you know one of the best players in Premier League history but I think there is quite a as Jordan was saying, that Gerard isn't the sort of manager that's just going to come in and go here are my, here are my medals he doesn't have that many medals to be fair but um he, you know, he's a thoughtful manager, and there's probably I'd imagine if managers are back in the sharing red wine scene, then I imagine they'll have a good chat after the game. Nice. Or imagine more like a craft beer. Yeah. Certainly from from Potter's end. Really? Don't know about Gerard. Hmm. I mean, I I know that I think in one of Jordan's pieces he mentioned that Stephen Gerard had been spotted in Sexy Fish in Mayfair, and that's certainly not a craft beer restaurant. That's more cocktails and, right. and very nice wine. So if, if that's anything go. to go by. It would be yeah. an interesting subplot. Certainly would. Now, also in new manager news, Newcastle-Brentford, 
Eddie Howe's first game in management since 2020. So much has changed since then, not least Brentford becoming a top-flight team and getting off to a cracking start. However, they come into this game with the new-look Magpies on the back of four defeats in a row. Crikey flow. Yeah, I mean, actually, it's a massive opportunity for Newcastle to get their first one of the season because the last two games that Brentford have played have been against sides that hadn't yet won and they've got their first one of the season against Brentford, that being Burnley and Norwich. Brentford have really struggled the last couple of weeks. They had one shot on target, I think, in that Norwich game. They've got some injury issues. I mean, in all these games we've talked about, there's there's a lot of injury issues for, for teams and, and Brentford have struggled in, in the past weeks. So I think... It's a very good opportunity for Eddie Howard to get some of that um, new manager bounce. Dr. Brentford will see you now. <laughs> Brentford haven't, talking to doctors, Brentford haven't won away at Newcastle since um, English botanist Arthur Tansley introduced the concept of the ecosystem. Um, obviously, Eddie Howe's not got, now got to sort out the footballing ecosystem at St. James's Park. So right. there we go. Uh- that totally works. Uh, and then, of course, you've got Dean Smith's Norwich against the team that made it possible for him to get the... <laughs> job with the Canaries, Southampton. How about that Dean Smith revenge narrative? What a difference two weeks makes, or does it? I'd expect Southampton will win this game. Mm. I'm beating him four now, Saints. Anyway, he, Charlie, uh, meantime almost new, but certainly making his first appearance at home for Spurs, is Antonio Conte, who's had a bit of time to work with the team. You were talking on the excellent View from the Lane podcast about where... This Spurs is at, where this squad is at, compared to the Tottenham when Pochettino first mm. took over. Or could you sum up? Is that a favourable comparison? Well, I think the consensus we had was that there are some similarities there and the age profile is quite similar in both teams. You know, all outfielders are in, in their 20s, really. I think Adebayor was 31. In the current Spurs squad, they're all in their 20s. And there is a similar kind of mixture of quite established players and then players that are coming through. But the big, big difference um, that Conte has is Kane and Son, really. I mean, Kane was there in 2014, but he was a complete unknown quantity. Having those two elite attacking players does make quite a big difference. And it's interesting as well, we we did a series this week on The Athletic looking at the kind of peak age um what a peak age is for various different positions and then mapped out each uh, squad and Spurs are the second closest to that theoretical peak age, which surprised me because I feel like they've been in transition for a couple of years. Um, But actually Conte inherits a group age-wise, you can debate the quality of the players, um, but age-wise that looks ready to to make that step that's been so elusive. And in Kane and Son, he does have two properly world-class attacking players. So I, I don't think it's as... I don't think they're as far away from pushing for, for winning things as, as it certainly it seemed a few weeks ago when that seemed uh, mm. a whole world away. Uh, apart from winning things, do you think they'll actually have a shot on target? Oh, yeah, the, uh, the drought. Yeah, two and a half games. 227 minutes, I think, since they it's last the had It's the exact one. length of Gone With A Win, so anyone that wants to watch that. Um, and not miss a spur shot on target, this this was your slot, essentially. Um mm. No team in recorded Premier League history has gone three games in a row without a shot on target, but I'm pretty sure Spurs will have a shot on target on Sunday. Right, especially with Harry Kane in this new exciting form that he's in post the trip to San Marino. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd hope that would 
give him a little boost, scoring all those goals in midweek. I mean, I know a lot of people will question the quality of opposition and you know, Leeds will be a step up, but they it's it's probably quite a good team for them to face it to end that shot on target drought because they, they they are they can be quite leaky defensively. Spurs won this game 3-0 pretty comfortably last season. Kane scored in that game. Um as a penalty from memory. So, you know, he 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 will be raring to go on this one and I, I think he, he did look a bit sharper in those internationals. I thought his second penalty was one of the best penalties I've ever seen. It was, it was amazing. Really good. Yeah. Really like good. I know when you've already scored two goals against San Marino, the, the the level of pressure is like arguably less than when you're looking for one P in a, under a rug. It was obscene. It was obscene penalty. It it, it almost said it, it was almost like he th- he was like, I know you're you're going to guess I'm going to go this way, so I'm going to go high because then you can't reach it. It was it was like Alan Shearer at Euro '96, mm. just mm. unstoppable. Uh, less good news from the international break from a Spurs point of view was the fact that Christian Romero came off for Argentina in their clash with Brazil, which ended nil nil with a thigh injury. Charlie, what's the latest there? Well, we'll find out more tomorrow. I think um, at the Friday um, press conference that Conte gives, but. Yeah, it doesn't look great. And they've had a bit of a rotten run with injuries from internationals and players getting kicked out of countries and this sort of thing. So it's been... uh, International breaks haven't really agreed with Tottenham so far this season. Um, But that's Mm -hmm. a big blow if he's out for any length of time. Two more Premier League games coming up this weekend that I know you want to know about. Uh, One is Watford Man United. Uh, Ronaldo and Bruno also didn't have a good international break. Drew with Republic of Ireland, lost to Serbia, blew their World Cup place. They'll be delighted to be back with their club where... oh. They've only won once in six games and talk building, even over the international break, that maybe the club is coming around to the idea that maybe it was Ollie over for Ollie. Uh, he has only made one previous visit to Vicarage Road as Man United manager and they lost that one 2-0. That was in December 2019. Crikey. Uh, Claudio Ranieri, though, is not enjoying too much uh, fortune so far in charge of the Hornets. They they have to get a result there, don't they? I mean, if I know, I know we've said this many times, but I mean, g- generally, to be fair, United's away form has been outstanding. So hmm. I, I do think they'll, they'll have enough to win this game. They lost 20 matches, Watford's, against Man United. They played 20, lost 18, 1-2. Could, could be a double sacking, couldn't it, if Watford win? Because that would be obviously a bridge too far for, for Oli. And probably as good as it would get for Ranieri, so time for Watford to make a make a switch. I see. Burnley-Crystal Palace, meanwhile, is another of those Saturday 3 o'clock games. And uh, better news on the injury front, uh, Eberichi Eze could be back in the matchday squad, six months on from uh, rupturing his Achilles tendon. Uh, Palace, anyway, are in particularly fine form at the moment. Uh, only Chelsea and Liverpool have uh, lost fewer games. And uh, the, all the draws that Patrick side had, had been piling up have started to turn into proper victories now. Looking good. Can they, can they get a result at Turf Moor? Which I believe I'm right in saying, Duncan, is a notoriously tough place to go. <laughs> yeah, tough place to go if it's shut, but it'll be open on Saturday, so I'm sure Palace will have no issues. I mean, we've talked about Palace quite a lot this season, but I'm struggling to remember a manager who's come in and, and sort of turned around the style mm. so effectively and so quickly as, as Vieira has done. And it's interesting, obviously, going to Burnley because they are very much a team who have a single style and, and it works for them. It was seemingly most seasons and it seems that it's kicking in a bit now. These games are pretty tight. I think the, the team scoring first has gone on to win each of the last 10 Premier League games between these sides. 
a bit like we said about West Ham earlier, actually. Really looking forward to seeing Palace play whenever they play now. So Maybe Thomas Tuchel for a manager coming in and having an immediate yeah. I- impact. But yeah, no, I mean, the, the, that's uh, a comparison that only reinforces the point that I, I, I think you're making. Anyway, well, that's the Premier League weekend. And we'll, of course, on Monday, review what actually happens in those games. But next up... Let's just uh, cross the I's and dot those T's on the international games that took place uh, Monday and Tuesday. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which might just come in handy when Brighton start being Brighton again and go back to outperforming their XG and not winning. Free match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. It's over 18's only. And please gamble responsibly. 18th of November. Happy Thierry Henry's Wandering Hand Day, everybody. Something that Jamie Carrigan knows all about, of course, but that's not the incident we're talking about. We're talking about the time on November the 18th, 2009, when Thierry Henry handled the ball against the Republic of Ireland in that World Cup playoff. But there's the handball by Henry. And by the way, not just one, George, but twice. It's actually hit him on the arm and then he's controlled it with his hand. Just watch it from this angle. Yes. And then he's knocked it back to Gallus and it's easy, but... Oh, that's a handball, no question about it. Absolutely no question about it, and France have stolen the lead on aggregate. And uh, France went to the World Cup and Republic of Ireland did not. And, and for what? What did France do at the World Cup? Blew up on the team bus. Raymond Dominic and the boys returning in disgrace, crashing out the group stage. Anyway, 
France and Ireland not needing playoffs this time for differing reasons. Uh, let's talk about some teams that uh, will be, though, or are already through, with the final World Cup qualifying results from this week. Monday saw England causing scoreboard failure in San Marino and Italy failing to score away in Belfast, but Switzerland in Italy's group having no such problems, beating Bulgaria 4-0 to take top spot. Scotland beating Denmark 2-0, as mentioned. Tuesday then, Netherlands sealed their spot in Group G, beating Norway 2-0, and Turkey thus taking the playoff place. Wales also confirming uh, their seeded status by drawing 1-1 with Belgium. All right. Uh, England 10, San Marino 0. England versus Dan Marino might have been more of a match-up. <laughs> that was my note from the, the game. What was the XG, Duncan? The XG was 5.9 against 0.1. So well done, England. You uh, you outperformed your XG. So so you can do when you go away to San Marino. That's all you can do. But I saw a lot of people being a bit churlish about it. I I don't think I've ever watched a team score ten goals in a in a game before. Well, it's what I think. What's I think what's funny for me coming from you know women's football world as well is that just a few weeks ago people were kind of up in arms about the gap in women's football for many reasons and a lot of the gaps are the same gaps that exist in the men's game but it causes such a kind of state of hysteria um and the last couple of international windows have been big big results and there's an international window just coming up next week and it's probably going to be more of the same so England's women's team have had multiple double digit results recently so you're kind of used to it but I think the reaction was quite interesting because for some people it's well you can only beat what's in front of you and for other people it requires a sort of full analysis and investigation into the state of European football and I think we always want to do that because we want to see better games and a growth of of the game overall but there's also sort of like only so much you can do at times I don't think it's very Mm. helpful I think at the the end of the day it's not helpful for either side I mean, what are England learning from this and what are San Marino learning from this? Nothing. And that's probably where you get to in the women's game as well. Neither side are learning anything from these results and games with two major tournaments on the horizon for both of these teams. Although it was nice to see Emil Smith-Rowe and Tyron Mings getting their first international goals and Harry Maguire becoming England's highest scoring centre-half. Have that, critics. Not sure how many points that means for Man United, but Duncan will... Well, no. Uh, meantime, Connor Cody post game saying that now that they qualified, he and the rest of the England squad will have a discussion as to the best way for them to make a difference, basically to improve human rights issues in Qatar, host nation for the upcoming World Cup. Labour abuses of migrant workers, the mistreatment of the LGBTQ community in Qatar. Um, opinion's been a bit divided in reaction to this. On the one hand, there's a one hairy being-backed blogger in, in Doha, and on the on the other, kind of everybody else, I, I think. Uh, I mean, it's a question that we all, you know, without listener... And it, to be fair, listener, you as well probably have this same quandary regarding the upcoming World Cup, but I think it's the right... I think it's, it was fair what Takana Cody said, no, that they should have a chat about it and a, and, a, and a proper think about it and see what the best way to go is. Is that... Is that right or is that a cop-out? No, I think it speaks volumes of this generation of England team because I don't think you would have said that of a squad, you know, not maybe yeah, a decade or so ago. They wouldn't even have said something like this. But I think mm. footballers around the world in the men's and women's game, I mean, Madeleine Eriksson, Chelsea, Sweden player, recently wrote a column talking about Qatar in for the eye and speaking about mm. how she wouldn't want to go there as as a gay woman. And I think... 
I think it speaks volumes of this generation of footballer that that is at the forefront of their mind. It, I, I genuinely do think they are thinking about that. Um, and I think before we, we never would have had people or, or athletes like this feeling like they could actually speak up in that way. Yeah, it, it's probably slightly unfortunate or unfair that uh, large area. I say we all share the same quandary about Qatar, and to an extent, we're kind of looking to the footballers to act as the the mouthpieces when you know they have no more perhaps responsibility to do that than than, than journalists or spectators or or anybody. Mm. I think it's the good side of player power, isn't it, that they have the the platform and the wealth to be able to do this now. You obviously look at controversies around the England team in the 1930s going to Germany and you know those players were on the on the standard footballing wage. They probably earned less than than most people in the country. So um you know people complain about the wealth that footballers get, but I think it has as Flo said it gives them it allows them the, the space to have that platform now, so it's good. Excellent. Well, on the football field, Scotland, as we mentioned, uh, beat Denmark 2-0 to confirm that they'll be seeded in the playoffs. They've now won six competitive games in a row. First time that's happened, Scotland, since 1930. Remarkable. Wales also holding uh, Belgium to a 1-1 draw. And, uh, yeah, oh, go on then. Let's talk quickly about Switzerland and Italy. Northern Ireland... Uh, were brilliant in their game against the Azzurri Monday night. Uh, they were kind of everything Italy weren't. Did you, did you see this match? I turned it on for the last 20 minutes because it had narrative and learned <laughs> hard. Yeah, and by which point, to be fair, Italy could have won the game and it wouldn't have made any difference because Switzerland had, had, had uh, taken their goal difference beyond uh, Italy's reach. I was hoping that Italy would get one back late on and some of the Italian players would think that was enough and some would realise they needed to win 2-0 and there'd be some sort of like... Um, was it when Man City got yeah, relegated from the Premier League in 96 and they kept right. the ball in the corner? Well, or when Antonio Cassano scored in Euro 2004 and, yeah, and then collapsed on the floor as the full enormity of their predicament. While Denmark and Sweden played out the draw, wasn't it? Yeah, fortuitously enough. Extraordinary. Anyway, this one here, to be fair, Italy had nothing to complain about. They were abject. And and how they've turned so completely into pumpkins after the kind of their their magnificent glide through Euro 2004, sorry, Euro 2020. Although I guess there as well, once Spinazzola went out, there were some signs that that the, 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 the magic was wearing thin. But just since the Euros, they've... They've been struggling so much and they were pumping balls up for big men that they don't have. And yeah. Northern Ireland were absolutely magnificent. And probably if either team should have won it, I think you'd probably say it was Northern Ireland at the end. There was that extraordinary goal line clearance after Gigi Donnarumma had gone for a bit of a wander uh, to see what was going on up the other end. Um, yeah. Anyway, so Italy are back in the playoffs again, having missed out in the playoffs and then redeemed themselves. And there's a possibility... We'll find out in the draw, but there, there's a chance that it could be Portugal v Italy for a place in the World Cup. Wow. Who do you want? Italy. Especially as they missed the last one. I mean, that they was did, didn't they? that felt yeah. so strange. Did, didn't it? Well, they'll have somebody else before they can get to an eventual matchup with Portugal or any other of the exciting ones like Sweden, who knocked them out last time, or Russia, who they knocked out in the late 90s and that infamous game in the snow in Moscow. Uh, anyway, that's a kind of Duncan-esque use of infamous, to be fair. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about some other things very, very shortly, including yet more magic from Barcelona Femini. But first, here's some odds from Carl Monheim of Putty Power and producer Charlie. 
Now that's what I call an international break. How the hell can the Premier League steal our attention back? With three new managers, of course. Gerrard, Smith and Howe all make their bow at new clubs this Saturday at 3 o'clock, all looking for that new manager bounce. Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power, who has the bounciest fixture? Or the uh, bounciest manager? I'm not sure how it works. Yes, Charlie, this weekend of the top flight really is bouncier than Skippy the Kangaroo on a bouncy castle. We will start off with Stevie G, who takes the reins at Aston Villa, who have lost their last five Premier League games on the trot. Ironically, Stevie G is the man brought in to stop the slide. Hashtag Dembabar. And his first game is against the Brighton side, who have failed to win in their last six games, but they have drawn five of those, Charlie. The Paddy Power traders take the new managerial bounce very seriously and make Gerrard's new side the slight favourites at 29-20 to 20 to win it. The Seagulls are 15-8, to 8, and the draw is priced up at 11 to 5 which will be very popular as Potter's men are the Thai specialists of the league. Dean Smith may look like a harmless geography teacher but his great work last season at Villa was quickly forgotten as his five on the trot league defeats proved fatal. But Villa's loss is Norwich's gain and after Frank Lambert pulled out of the race Norwich had to think quick on their feet and securing the signature of one Dean Smith looks like a smart gamble. The Canaries are a 4-1 to one shot Charlie to stay up. Not an impossible task, considering they lie only five points adrift of safety. First up for Smith is Southampton, who are unbeaten in their last four. But Smith does get a home game from which to start his reign from. In terms of the betting, the Paddy Power traders are not afraid of the dreaded bounce here, Charlie. They make the Saints the favourites at 21-20. to 20. The draw is 12-5 to 5, and the home win is a 5-2 to two shot. We move on to the likeable Eddie Howe, Charlie, and if Dean Smith looks like a geography teacher, well, Eddie Howe has the look of an over-enthusiastic PE teacher about him. Eddie Howe, as we know, will have to wait until January before he'll be on supermarket sweep with the blank cheque. Until then, though, the former Cherry Spots will have to make do with the current Newcastle squad that he has at his disposal. In terms of the betting, it's finally poised here, Charlie, at 13-8 to 8 Pickham, with the draw price at 23-10. to 10. So how about a new manager bounce treble, Charlie? Aston Villa to beat Brighton, Norwich to beat Southampton, and Newcastle to beat Brentford. That treble works out at just over 20-1. to 1. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply, and when the fun stops, stop. Totally Football League shows out today, Thursday. That's with Matt Davis-Adams. They'll be talking about a lot of things, but uh, amongst them, the newest addition to the championship, a gentleman by the name of Andy Carroll, who's going to sign for Reading as they attempt to deal with the six-point deduction that they were given on Wednesday for breaching financial regulations. Crikey, if that sounds harsh, then have a look at Derby, whose points deduction for... Similar issues has been increased to a whopping 21 points. That's them done. Is that them done? You'd think so. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. I don't give them much hope. Be good if they ended the season on 11 points. Sort of, you know, the club tradition. Keep that going. But they'll get more than that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. Anyway, more about that on the Totally Football League show. Also out today, Thursday, is the offside rule. They'll definitely, surely, Flo, talk about the latest antics from Barcelona uh, away at Hoffenheim, that 5-0 win, and one goal in particular, which has gone very viral. Yeah, a um, a brilliant team goal. Um, it was a, w- a weird game, actually, because Hoffenheim played really, really well in the first sort of, 25, 30 minutes and then uh, didn't take their chances and Barcelona just punished teams in a 
unbelievable way, really, and and ended up winning five nil. But if you'd watched the first half of that, you probably wouldn't have thought it was it was going to end that way. But yeah, another impressive Barcelona performance. Uh, Bayern Leon was also another really good game on Wednesday night. Bayern ended up beating Leon one nil. Um, but Thursday night games, Wolfsburg Juventus will be a really good one, and Real Madrid PSG. I'm sure lots of people have seen on social media the bizarre story. Uh, in the PSG women's squad that we still don't really have any answers to. And now Eric Abadal's been dragged into it as well. So a really, really bizarre situation going on on there. And everyone's kind of watching what's going to happen with that team. They got smashed by Leon in the league at the weekend. Um, so, yeah, that's an interesting one to watch. And Chelsea are at home against Swiss side Servette. And that will be kind of one-way traffic, really. But, yeah, an interesting, interesting week of Champions League action. Oh, speaking of Barcelona... Uh, and new managers, which we have done. Xavi will have his first game in charge this weekend. The 20th of November, they are ooh, facing the derby against Espanyol. It's quite a, a game to begin with, isn't it? Uh, they won't have Dani Alves in for that one, although he has re-signed for the club at the age of 38 because he's not eligible to suit up for the Catalans until January. If you're in the mood for European football, may I also say that myself and James Horncastle will be doing... Andrei Shevchenko's debut for Genoa against Jose Mourinho Buhis uh, and Roma. That's Sunday night on Golazzo live on BT. And uh, anything else you'd like to flag up? What are Wickham up to this weekend, Duncan? Uh, they are playing Bolton Wanderers, Fallen Giants in the hmm. Clash of the Wanderers. Um, I'm going, actually, so let's hope. They're on a, Wickham on a bad run, so we need to, need to change that. Well, indeed. <laughs> Charlie, your weekend highlight? Well, I'll be at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for Tottenham against Leeds. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I think it'll be interesting. I think first time Conte and Bielsa have faced one another. Um, yeah, his first home league game should be good. Excellent. And Flo? I think for me, two games really. Um, Liverpool Arsenal, obviously a massive one. And then on the Sunday, Manchester United women versus Arsenal women, probably the best WSL game of the weekend. Um, so, yeah, definitely my highlights. Excellent. All right. Well, there will uh, be podcasts covering all of that coming next week across the, uh, across the Athletics uh, uh, stable of audio offerings. But that brings to an end today's show. Many thanks to you all for being with us through one or two technical issues, listener. Did you pick up on them that we were experiencing? Uh, but we, we made it to the end. Hopefully you did too. And uh, many thanks to producer Charlie. We return Monday. Have a great weekend from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.